You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back for another episode for my American listeners. This is Thanksgiving week if you're listening in real time. But no matter where you are, I feel like the end of year is always a very stressful time. And as I was thinking about how to close out this year of Naked Beauty, I was thinking so much about having like helpful how-to episodes. So you guys heard from Caroline last week on how to organize your beauty clutter. I also wanted to talk to someone who had a point of view about managing through, you know, any anxiety or stress that comes up this time of year to talk about overeating. I think that Thanksgiving, we've all just sort of normalized like eating until you feel physically ill, or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. And I don't want to like go to the Thanksgiving dinner table, like worried about like, oh my gosh, I'm going to undo all of this work that I've put in training these past few months with, with one meal. And it just brings up like a lot of weird stuff. So we talked about overeating. We speak about Rosie's experience growing up in East LA, how she found her spiritual practice, how she really got into yoga and meditation. She has an awesome podcast called Radically Loved, which I would encourage you guys to check out. And Rosie and I ended up speaking for a pretty long time. We actually spoke so long that there's a whole section on how to manage through stress and anxiety and the difference between stress and anxiety that I'm actually going to release as a standalone episode because I thought it was so strong in addition to this core conversation. So you can look forward to that coming soon. And yeah, it was just great to connect with someone who has made wellness such a central part of their work. It is the work that she does day to day, helping people connect to themselves, helping people be more mindful and more spiritual. And I also love to hear from a wellness expert or someone who really focuses on wellness that wasn't always this way. We hear a little bit about her background growing up, what path she was going down and how she kind of turned it all around. Overall, really loved speaking with Rosie. And I hope you guys are all doing well. I hope that you're treating yourselves with compassion and allowing yourself some time to just enjoy yourself as we round out the end of the year. I know that there are a million things to do, but one of the things that I have learned, and it's something that comes up in this podcast again, is the to-do list is never done. And the goal isn't to get to the end of the to-do list either. The goal is to just enjoy your life, 
create moments of happiness where you can connect with the people that are important to you and be present. So I hope this episode helps you guys think through some of those things. And I just appreciate your love and support so much. It means the world to me. You can tag as you're listening to Naked Beauty by taking a screenshot as you're listening and tagging at Naked Beauty Planet. Okay, you guys heard Mavi. He has a little bit to say. Let me let me grab Mavi and see if he wants to speak to the Naked Beauty audience. I'll be right back. Uh, All right, and now I've got Mavi on my lap. The nanny is gone and he's playing with my controllers on my Focusrite podcast mixer. So I'm going to have to wrap this intro up. But thank you guys again for everything and i will be talking to you soon with another episode you'll know real when you get it it will say ebay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all jewelry that makes you look like a gem sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly when it comes to style and luxury ebay gets it they're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts not just any experts specialized experts real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience so when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee shop with confidence every inch stitch Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Why'd you have to leave me? Rosie, welcome to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I'm so excited to have you in. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a new fan. I've been binging. Oh, nice. I've been binging on all of your content, really, is what I've been doing. (laughs) Okay, I love that. Well, a lot of the topics that you cover in terms of just being more grounded, radical love, showing your self-love and self-care... You have a yoga background, you have a meditation background. You've also, you know, come to this work through some of your own personal struggles, which I want to talk about. And as I was thinking about this holiday season coming up and just the end of the year frenzy and me personally feeling like I'm getting anxious, like I'm, I'm suffering from anxiety that seems to be coming from absolutely nowhere. And I was like, you know what? I think you know, as I wrap up the end of the year, this would be a really great discussion to have with the Naked Beauty community. So we're very grateful to have you on. Yeah, no, I'm so, so uh, honored to be here and to be able to share a little bit about my story with the community. And it's interesting because I feel that the older we get, the more overwhelming the end of the year gets. Interesting. Whereas, I mean, if you think about it, like when we were younger, the end of the year was the best time. Holidays. Getting out of school. Yep. Having a break, you know, not having to deal with, you know, like, I don't know, for me, it was fun to not be in school, to hang out with my friends till the wee hours of the night. And obviously growing up in Southern California, we don't really have a winter. So I got to play outside all the time. And it wasn't until 
you know, you, well, it's not until you get older, you get more responsibilities. It's like the end of the year, especially if you're an entrepreneur, if you are self-employed or if you're not self-employed, it just, it becomes really stressful at the end of the year with holidays. If you have family involved, if there's people coming to visit, it seems as though energetically to this thing happened where we feel like we have to finish everything. We have to finish projects. We have mm. to put a bow on it. We have to do reports. We have our end taxes, you know, all of those things that can seem to cripple us sometimes. It becomes so debilitating energetically where if, if you look at the whole entire landscape of what is happening, it's overwhelming. Yes. And I think that that's part of what it's almost like that serpent that eats itself. Thinking about it gets you into that frequency. That frequency continues to perpetuate the thought of, okay, it's the end of the year. It's the holidays, family. What am I going to cook? What am I going to do? Am I going to... And then you put the pressure of obviously us going and living through this pandemic and all the stress that that has brought on. I think it's not a surprise to hear a lot of people going through a certain level of anxiety. And so yes. one of the things that I like to think about during this time is, look, I can sit here and tell you, you know, it's really about gratitude and we have to find those grateful moments. And wow, how fortunate are we to have family that we can spend time with or have the time to do the things that we want to do. All of that, yes. I'm not saying that that is not important, but our worry and our stress wreaks havoc on our body. And if we're not able to self-regulate that overwhelm and that stress, it's going to be really hard to cultivate that joy or that gratitude, right? I mean, I'm just being realistic, right? So part of what a practice that I like to do during this time is to write all my plans out, everything that I'm doing. I, I, I'm a listographer. I you know what I'm saying? I love a list. I love notebooks. I love physically writing things down and physically cross. You know what I actually do? I don't even cross it out. I have a highlighter that I go in with and I like highlight the things as they're done. It's just very visually pleasing to see progress in that way. Why do you do that? Why is that helpful for you? What does it do for you? It's the visual representation of making progress. And I will, if I have to do things, I will actually write out on my to-do list every step needed. So if I have to return something, I don't write return this thing. I write, go online and fill out the return form, print out the return label, put the return label on the box. Because sometimes I get, you know, I'll print it out and the box will be there, but I don't know where the packing tape is. So I actually write out all of the steps and that just wow. gives me more satisfaction that each thing is being crossed off. And it's like, okay, now I'm putting it downstairs. Now I'm bringing it to the post office. I just like everything written down. Because you're you're creating now something that's disembodied in your mind that causes a stress. You're yeah. giving it a tactile form. You're giving it a physical externalized form. And that's why it feels so good because you can actually see it. You can create a, a task and you can either yeah highlight it or cross it off and it the whole purpose of, of it and I'm I'm like you I just wanted to know what your experience was and I love that you have that much detail because <laughs> that means that it's it allows you to be more fully present with what you're doing 
which means that you are just really good at what you do. Because if you do everything that way, Brooke, I mean, it's no wonder why and how you've been able to create this life, right? I mean, I think it really speaks to your ability to harness everything in a very concise way so that you can do it, right? It's like, okay, if I- It's not overwhelming. Exactly. You break it up into smaller parts. Yeah. And as as many times as we hear this, oh, just do one day at a time or one task at a time. Right. I really do believe that there is some, well, obviously there's science to prove this. When we have the tactile experience of writing something down, it, it in a way gives it life. So it makes it real and it, it gives it a place. And it's not just something that's in your mind because what happens and the reason why we get overwhelmed is because we're very our mind is all over the place and our mind is carrying so much data in there. And so if we're able to write something down so that we don't forget, so that we feel like there's a pin in it, it actually alleviates the stress of Mm -hmm. having something just rattling around in your mind. And so there's something very satisfying about that. So that's the first thing that I do whenever I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed during this time, I make a list of everything that needs to happen. It's like, I make a list of the lists. (laughs) It's like, here's the list for this. Here's the list for for that. Holiday, what am I going to cook? Where's the grocery? What's all the things I'm going to need from the grocery store? Who's going to come? Who do I need to contact? What time are they going to come? You know, for me, it is that satisfaction of knowing Okay. And not if everything doesn't get done, it's really not a big deal. Yeah. The one thing I do want to say is that there are people that get overwhelmed by lists and they almost prefer to have the fluidity of just having things in their mind and doing tasks as they think about them. That's great too. I think it's really a matter of creating a system that works for you. That works for you. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't overwhelm you. I mean, there's there's so many other things that come up during this time too. Specifically, I just had this conversation earlier today with one of my friends who has recently gone through a breakup and her anxiety and her mm. stress has been, I'm going to be alone for the holidays. Right. And after being in a relationship for 10 years... She's by herself. She moved out. She's got her own apartment. Her family is on the East Coast. She's here on the West Coast. And, you know, her parents are older. She's not wanting them to travel. It's kind of this whole thing where she is in the state of having to grapple with, okay, the holidays. What does that mean? What does it mean? What is the point? And am I going to be okay being by myself? Yeah, that's so hard. And it's an adjustment for sure. I think people associate the holidays with being with the people that they love and it can bring up a lot of emotions. And we just jumped into all of my holiday anxiety talk, but I do want to hear from you, Rosie, about, I'm like, I'm anxious about the holidays. Help me. Like, what do I do? For you, Rosie, and, and this may be just an assumption as me not coming from like a wellness background. But when I see people like you that have got like crystals in their home and they do yoga and they meditate, you've got a Buddha statue behind you. You're like an LA girl. I kind of assume that you have always been this way and you just like radiate this, like, this is, you know, how I've always shown up in the world. As I did research on you, I was very surprised to learn that you, you know, growing up in East LA kind of had a quote unquote troubled because I think that term could mean a lot of things. But 
growing up as a teen, you suffered from depression, from anxiety, overeating, which is something that I can relate to, especially binge eating, which we should talk about as Mm -hmm. well when it comes to Mm -hmm. holidays. Yes. And now you do such intentional work about making people feel better and connecting with their inner selves. Tell me how you got into this work and, and what was that catalyst to kind of transform the way you're experiencing your life? Yeah, thank you uh, for asking. And I always have to say thank you for asking because it's something I'm used to asking the questions, right? So I'm just like, oh, okay, yes. We're rewinding the tape here and going to the beginning. So yes, it has not always been this way. And I I always would make fun of the people that were like the crystals and the long, I would call it the long flowy yoga hair and just seem to have it all together. And that was absolutely not my experience. I, as Brooke said, I went through a very difficult time growing up in East LA. It was during the LA riots. I'm first generation Mexican-American. So my parents were immigrants. And one of my many jobs was also to be a translator for my parents. Mm. And we lived in an environment where growing up when I was little was great. But as we got older, so did the adolescents in our neighborhood. And it quickly got overran with gang violence and drive-by shootings and just like really intense, tumultuous things going on, especially again, during that time in our LA history was, was very intense, very tenuous. And I spent my early life sort of experiencing that and thinking this is the norm. Mm. Everybody goes through this because all of my friends were going through the same thing. So it wasn't like it was an anomaly. Everybody was going through sleepless nights and dealing with PTSD at a young age. It was just a normal experience. So by the time Mm. I was a teenager, I started suffering from these debilitating panic attacks that were debilitating. I mean, I didn't know my parents were trying to figure, especially my parents, they don't understand. These people grew up in an environment themselves that was war-torn, right? Like they did not comprehend what was wrong with me, right? They probably thought, you know, you're in America, you have a much better and stable life than we had. We've made the sacrifice for you to be here. So you should just be happy. Exactly. Like, what is your problem? Why are you being this way? Like, what is happening? And so at the time, also, I was getting in trouble with the law. You know, you you become a product of your environment. So I was suffering from these debilitating panic attacks. I was beginning to act out the rebellious teen that I was. And I got arrested. The second time I got arrested, I was uh, got arrested for trying to steal a cop car. Oh wow! And- <laughs> you were, you were, okay. I thought it was like you know, I don't know, oh, maybe no, no, shoplifting. No. This is okay, like shop- no, no, no. This you were, you like were like a in crime. it. Crime. Yeah, <laughs> like, this was felony. A exactly. Well, I was a, I was a underage, so minor. Okay. Yeah. So it was a, a misdemeanor, but okay. I basically got faced with this decision. If I got my life together, that meant I wasn't going to go to jail, right? Yeah. And for me, at that point. It's like I earned my stripes after I got arrested when I went back to school. It was the celebratory welcome to the club. Right? Uh, it wasn't like, oh, you did something bad. It just was the norm. But it was in that time where I was really asking this question because at this stage, I knew that I was not living the life I was supposed to be living. 
Like even in that experience, even seeing somebody get shot, somebody get stabbed, like I Mm. knew that this was not my life, if that makes sense. Like there was this Mm. sort of higher vantage point that I had that felt like it was more me, almost as if I was watching this adolescent have this experience and I knew that she had to go through it in order to get to somewhere else. Wow. Yeah. So it was in that experience that I found yoga and meditation. It was, in fact, my mom ended up coming home one day. She was working at um, the children's hospital in LA. And one of her friends said, Oh, have Rosie try this. It's for anxiety. And it was this thing called meditation. Mm. <laughs> and came home with this little pamphlet. I read it and it sounded cool. So I ended up taking the city bus to this self-realization fellowship that was, I just wrote a book and I write about this entire experience. So I don't want to bore you with the details, but no, I'm, I'm like, I'm at the edge of my seat. This is so fascinating. (laughs) So, so I, I get to this self-realization fellowship on sunset and it is weird. Like (laughs) it's weird. Like LA hippie granola, like all of the stereotypes, all the, all the stereotypes, people being nice, like all of these things that I am just not used to. I'm, I'm very sort of suspicious about everybody. I don't Mm. trust people. And, and not, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I also want to ask where there are also people of color there. Cause I think that's another thing. A lot of times we associate these wellness practices with white spaces. And when you go into a place and no one looks like you, that can also be alienating. Yes, absolutely. And I definitely want to speak to that because I feel like we can tie that back into the binge eating that you were talking about earlier. So yeah, I walk in and there's nobody there that looks like me. Everybody's really nice. I think people that are nice are weird. So (laughs) it just was very strange. You know, I, I, it was a little bit off-putting, but I went into their little temple. They're having this lecture, I guess, and there's this English woman speaking at the podium. And and by the way, like I didn't know why she was talking the way she was. I didn't hear accents growing. Like how you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Spanish was my first language. So hearing accents like was uh, aside from Spanish accents, you know, <laughs> it's like, what are they saying? Yeah. But I really began to listen to what she was saying, she started talking about happiness. And then she started to talk about how we all have the right to be loved and to be held. And we all had the right to have this pursuit of happiness and how we were responsible for our own happiness. Mm. My ears perked up. And as I'm sitting there listening to her, I've, I've talked about this story before. I'm still looking around like waiting. I was raised Catholic. I always like to say I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> so I'm like looking around waiting for the the guy, the dude to come in to give the lecture, right? Because I'm like, who is this woman? I'm like looking around. I like what she's saying, but I'm still suspicious about what's happening. And then about 30 minutes in, I realized, no, she's the guy. She is the person that's actually giving this lecture about this idea of meditation and happiness and how we can manifest things. What I was very intrigued. She had us close our eyes. She had us go through this meditation. And I realized in that moment, 
I had never been instructed to close my eyes because I associated closing your eyes with going to sleep. And I had a lot, a hard time doing that, right? Because I have PTSD in my system. <laughs> so I, I closed my eyes and I remember feeling like I had never felt my breath and my body before. Wow. You know, that moment I was just talking about where I said, I felt like I was living this life and I was watching it happen. Well, if I could give you a precise moment of when I actually came back into this body, it was that moment. Wow. So for me, it felt very connected to this physical form. I realized, oh, there's a breath and a body here. What is this thing that's happening? What is this feeling I have? And that was it. That sort of opened, I like to say aggressively opened the doors to this experience of the mind, body, and spirit connection because something happened in that moment to me. I felt something very profound and something very honest and true. And that's really the only the only description that I can give it even to this day, something that felt honest and true. And I held on to that. And it took many years for me to actually get to this place, going to a yoga studio for the first time. I Going back to your experience of like not seeing people like me or any people of color, because to me, it's like, I see people of color. I see myself. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, we're the same. But going into this space, feeling like, okay, is this not for me? Is this for me or is this not for me? Because it feels like internally, it feels like it's for me, but visually it doesn't look like it is. So there's that cognitive dissonance where Mm -hmm. I want to explore this practice, but I also feel like like it's a club that I'm not a part of. Yeah. And I think that's really common for people of color. And I think that's what's so great about the work that you're doing in terms of it being accessible to everyone. Like anyone can listen to Radically Loved, your podcast, if they can't, you know, afford to do like a coaching session with you. Yeah. You're you're putting this information out there for free, which is your mom found out about it from the hospital, right? Which was like yeah. a free resource. So I think there's so much goodness in people making wellness more accessible, ideas of meditation. I mean, anyone can go on YouTube now and find like a meditation. Well, yeah, there's so much more access now. And my incentive to dive deep and years later become a yoga teacher and I decided to study nutrition and then I decided I wanted to teach and train people. It all came from the desire of wanting to teach people like the people I grew up with methods that are free, that are accessible to anyone that could help them. These are things that for for me in my environment, we didn't grow up learning about self-care and self-love. It was loving yourself almost seemed like a gratuitous experience. Like it wasn't something that was innately our birthright. It was extra. Like we can't get there. It's not for us. We're hardworking people. We are the people that we have to put food on the table. We have to make sure that our bills are paid. We have to sort of live in, if you're familiar with the subtle body, like the chakra systems, I I, I like to go from 
like the science based to the esoteric, right? So for me, when I think about the subtle body system, which if is not familiar, a term, I am not, a, I'm not familiar with this term. So you'll have to break down what the subtle body system is. Yeah. So the subtle body system is the chakras. Like okay. you've heard of the chakras, right? Yes. So there are seven main chakras and I'm sure many people have seen this image of the image of seven different colors. And there's these spheres from the base of your spine all the way through the crown of your head. And really what a chakra is, is a wheel of energy. So in, in yoga, this is part of this system of everything is energy and we have these energies flowing through us. And it's a way to understand how we relate to the external world and the internal world. That is like my one minute explanation of the subtle body. But the reason why I found it so fascinating for me was because I think about it in terms of how does this apply to right now? Like I'm not living in subtle body chakra land, crystal land. I want to know how this is going to help my life right here, right now. And so what I found interesting was that the root chakra, like our grounding energy has to do with our ability to feel safe and secure. And we can tie this back into what we've been talking about, this whole idea of like anxiety during the holidays. When we're not secure, when we don't have the... So security means having a roof over your head, having food in your fridge and feeling safe. If you feel safe, then you can go on your journey to spiritual pursuits or live, go about your day worrying about like, what am I going to do for the holidays? Where am I going to go? Who do I need to talk to, et cetera? Because you're not worried about somebody coming into your door. and Right. Your basic needs are met. Yeah. It's like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. Right. So the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is very similar to the subtle body system. And so the reason why it was so fascinating to me was... All the people that I grew up with were not stuck, but they were focused on getting their basic needs met. It's totally understandable why they wouldn't have not even a desire or they, they wouldn't be compelled to learn about all of these other practices because they are more worried about putting food on the table. Yes. And what's interesting that I'm just going to layer on top of this is there are some people that make a ton of money. I'm watching Succession on HBO right now, one of my favorite shows. So So good. good. And there are people that are millionaires, billionaires that never get to that higher order. Okay, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What are the things that really matter? Because they become consumed with continuing to make that money and continuing to attain that power just for the sake of their ego. So just wanted to layer that in this discussion, because I think sometimes there's a stereotype that people with certain means and privilege are able to pursue these things. But unfortunately, as we know, anyone can get caught up in this rat race. Yeah. Wherever you go, there you are. I mean, it, it really is a matter of... I was thinking about this the other day. I was laying in bed and I was... I have a practice. I do it every day, no matter what. I wake up early I do a little bit of movement. My yoga practice is so not like what you would think I'm doing air quotes. A yoga teacher's practice would be like, I get on my mat. I do some stretches. I do a downward dog, one sun salutation. And then I'm like, perfect. My 15 minute yoga practice is complete. And you just do what what you can. And when I was sitting down doing my meditation practice, I started to think about this whole idea of 
happiness and how we're on this pursuit of happiness and tying it back into what we've been talking about, we're overwhelmed because we believe that if we do everything on our list or everything that we have to do, we'll then be happy or we'll be content, right? It's like, we'll feel the satisfaction of that thing. Yes. But the problem is that we'll never get there. I mean, we won't get there. I mean, doesn't exist. It does not exist. Right. It yeah. at all. Yeah. So, so happiness really is not the purpose of life. The purpose of life isn't to gain happiness or to even be happy. The purpose of life, one of the purposes, right? But for me, the main purpose of life is to, to practice gratitude and to just be grateful for what you have and to mm. not sound, you know, like, cliche, it's not an easy thing to do, right? When you are wanting to strive to do things and to create different experiences in your life, you want to achieve joy and happiness. To me, like the word happiness can sometimes be a triggering word. You know, that's why I say that because it is so elusive. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes when we put that on ourselves, it creates the opposite effect. Whereas opposed to having gratitude be your goal, it allows you to even just relax your shoulders and say, okay, my job today is to just be grateful for what is here, right here, right now, this moment, this conversation, to be fully present because we don't know if the next moment is promised or not. Yeah. So that was like one of my biggest gifts in growing up the way I did. I was introduced to impermanence at a very young age. And it helped me sort of get to this place of being able to accept everything that is because that is the promise. Everything is impermanent. Nothing lasts forever. I mean, there's three, three different ways. I always like to do the mind, body, spirit. So for the mind... You can choose a different thought. You can choose to think of of something different. And it it could be really difficult, especially if you're in the loop of fear or stress or anxiety. Something's going on in your life. Somebody's ill. You're dealing with just the worry of life. Choosing to bring your energy and your mind to focus on something that is happening that even brings you just a tiny bit of joy can stop that mental loop. The body is doing what I was saying, like rubbing the thighs, doing cold ice cubes in your hands. If you're really having like an intense moment, put ice cubes in your hands and hold that ice cube. To me, the sensation gets you out of your mind. I often do this exercise too. If I'm leading a workshop, I'll have people pretend like they're biting into a lemon. Even if you think about it just now, like, it's wild. The mind is crazy. Okay. Can yeah. We you, start sal- you start second? salivating a little yeah. bit. See, if I were to swab your mouth right now, you have amylase, which is an enzyme that breaks down citrus. Like yeah. just by thinking about biting into a lemon, that is crazy. I mean, that's wild, right? Yeah. So that's just the power of the mind. And so physiologically, there are ways for us to, as I said, reverse engineer it. My favorite is the spirit part because that's, to me, that's where the radical love lives. You know, that's where all of this really integrates into having a embodied experience of living a life and living a fulfilling life and living a life of gratitude and a life of presence is to go into that space. And whether you believe in, in God or 
Buddha or whatever your belief system is, there is something bigger that's holding the smallest to the biggest of atoms of our current reality. And if you don't believe that, that's okay. Anchor into something that you do believe, something that you love. Maybe it's a pet, maybe it's a child, whatever it may be. But to me, I believe in God. So for me, I go into the space of, okay, I'm open to alleviating whatever is happening right now, releasing it into the divine. There's nothing I can do in this specific moment. My job is to breathe. And even if it's something I have to just continue to repeat over and over, after about five to 10 minutes, I'm calm. It doesn't matter what, right? It doesn't matter what is happening in my environment. My body is reacting to my ability to be able to breathe. Yeah. It's very helpful to hear you break all of this down. And I do want to get into what your personal approach to self-care is. We spend so much time on this podcast talking about self-care. We, we do talk about skincare quite a bit. So if you want to give us some of your skincare tips, I, I would not be mad at that at all. But I do want to hear for you personally, when you want to practice self-care, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. What do you do for self-care? When people before used to say self-care, I used to think a massage, like, oh, getting a massage is self-care. And it is. And and it's amazing. And it's the best. <laughs> I would love a massage right now. <laughs> I mean, literally, I said that and I'm just like, oh, God, I want a massage so bad. When I think about self-care now, I think about managing my energy, which means saying no to... Yeah people that I love sometimes. That's what my self-care practice has been over the last, especially, you know, during the pandemic and during this time. And I'm sure you can relate to this being an entrepreneur and, and being a mom. Like it's hard to be all things to all people. And for me, I have to remember that my energy is important to conserve because of what I do. And that requires me to be mindful about my time. And so for me, the, the biggest self-care practice I do is, is being able to say no. Yeah, I love that. That's a very powerful act of self-care. And your skin is glowing. Your skin is clear. What's Drop the skincare routine. Okay, so let me tell you something. <laughs> I've been watching all of your videos. Oh, thank you. All of your you. reels. Okay. And I'm just like... I'm learning so much about skincare. You, I'm going to have to get some tips from you. I, this is terrible. I only started to take care of my skin in the last two years. I know it's terrible, but. Um, no, that's, you know what? Better late than never. Right? And your skin's been very forgiving if if you just started oh, two years thank ago. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I it's those Hispanic genes, man. I don't, I don't know what to tell you, you know, like my grandma's skin looks amazing. So I, once a week I do a scrub, just like a a physical exfoliator, physical exfoliator. And then I use, oh my God, what is it called? It's like, um, it's a serum. It's called, uh, it's like a rescue serum. It's hydroluric acid, hyaluronic acid, hyaluronic acid. Thank you. Great. Very much. Great for trapping and moisture. Yes. So I use some of that. And then I just use a really good um, moisturizer. Moisturizer. That's all you need. And sunscreen during the day? Sunscreen during, yes. Sunscreen, the last two years I've been, especially moving out to the valley, we've got 
a little pool back there. We got a little pond, I call it. We got a little pool. So I've been, I started to get sunspots. Yeah. In the I mean, last two the years. sun, the sun is not your friend for I mean, like what your skin. I know. I know. Why? And it feels so great being out in the sun. I'm never going to tell people don't be in the sun. You just have to be diligent about your sunscreen. What's your go-to sunscreen? What do you like? I've been using uh, Shiseido's okay. sunscreen. It's That's like a, a waterproof one. one. Yeah. I, I just like it's very light, so it doesn't yeah. feel heavy and it it's worked yeah. well. And, and being that you teach yoga, when you're doing your classes, do you do like a mascara? Like, is there, are, are there makeups that like stay put while you're doing a class or do you just do makeup free? So I like to put mascara on and... I used to do the Dior waterproof mascara. Dior show. Dior show. Yes. Okay. I have a really good dupe for that. If you are interested, that's $4 from Essence. Oh, I love. Yes, please. Yes. Essence, like princess lash. I think it's called. It's like such a good dupe. I learned about it from another beauty podcaster and it's like $5 and so good. I'm sold. Sold. (laughs) And um, that's really, that's really all I, I be. I use, I put my brows sometimes I've got like this urban decay brow pencil and I like to draw my eyebrows in. Keep it simple. Yeah. I love it. it. I love it. I love, I mean, I love skin and I'm getting more and more into it. That's why I said, I'm like, I can't wait to just continue to learn more from you because I am just fascinated and I, I want this to last, you know what I mean? (laughs) Preserve. Well, I feel like you would, you would love gua sha. That's like yoga for your face. And there's this great company called Wildling and they have an amazing Instagram account with lots of instructional videos that just teach like facial massage techniques, which are also just so relaxing as well. And then you get like nice oils going. It's just a whole sensory experience. Yeah, I've done the roller. I do the roller. Yeah. But not often. The roller kind of sits around, I'll be honest, for me. My roller sits around. It doesn't get a lot of love, but my gua sha... Does, does does get some use. So Okay, yeah, please send this to me. I yes. need to start. And I'll I'm link excited. to everything in the show notes um, for people that are listening. I want to get to overeating, but before we get to overeating, because I think as people are listening to this, it's going to be Thanksgiving week. So it's a very hot topic. Yes. But I do want to talk about your experience with beauty growing up. And I watched this documentary called LA Originals. Have you seen this documentary yes. about Mr. Cartoon? Okay. Mm-hmm. So Forgive me if I'm saying anything wrong, correct me, put me in my place. But this, and I'm sorry if this is an offensive question. Is the term chola offensive? No, it's not. Okay. No. How would you, because I, I so I can identify that there is a whole beauty subculture in LA, in Mexican or Latin community. Yeah, Hispanic. Yeah, Hispanic community. And it was so interesting to me when I went to Japan, I went to Japan in 2020. There are people that are in the converse, the the flannel button down with the top yep. button done, the baby hairs gelled down, the like dark, you know, lipstick and yep. the eyebrow piercings. And I'm yep. like, am, am I in Los Angeles? Like, I'm so confused. Um, and for people that haven't seen this documentary, LA Originals, it talks about Mr. Cartoon and the whole basically like, is it East LA that they focus yeah, on? But yeah, it's, it's, East LA. it's just like this really rich culture of LA around like graffiti and and what are the cars called again? Like the, low rider. Low rider. The subculture of like East LA homeboys. Yes. yes. Like it is true. It's a whole thing. It's a thing. Yeah. yeah. And it 
and it gives you just a little bit of insight as to what type of environment I grew up in. So yeah, it's very, I mean, I, I loved it. They did such a great job. Um, yes. But this, this, it is a subculture and it is interesting. I guess the, so we would call it like chola brows, right? With like, they yes. would shave and chola is like, chola or cholo is slang for like homegirl or like a girl that's in a, a gang, a you know, gang so same, same for the guys. It's like homies, you know, like yeah. we, they're either, yeah, gang affiliated or not, or it's just like somebody that looks like somebody that would be affiliated with the yeah. gang, right? So a cholo it, or chola. So it's not, it's not, it's, offensive yeah. or it's probably not derogatory, but we should also be clear. It's probably something that you say within certain communities to each other, not something that like an outside, like, if you're like a white person, you probably wouldn't be like, oh, you're a beautiful like Chola or like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Um, Thank (laughs) you for clarifying that. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, like I grew up with white friends that had that like Spanish slang. Yeah. Yeah. And and talk like even East LA, like what's up, homie? Like, you know, that would speak with that Spanish inflection. So I I mean, I don't know. I, I see it as yes. Thank you for clarifying that because it, it, you kind of have to understand the culture a little bit yeah. more, I guess. It just it it's in that context, but but what you said is definitely a type of look, right? So mm-hmm. for me, growing up, such an interesting thing that you're saying that because I was just having this conversation like two days ago. I'm in the middle of revamping my website, and one of my friends is like, "Oh, that's like one of your chola pictures," you know. And I was <laughs> not; that was so not my aesthetic. Although like the aesthetic, whatever, some of the girls can rock it. I have cousins that rock it really great. Awesome. Um, But for me, I was more because I didn't want to get jumped (laughs) in high school. Um, I always had this issue with my mom having, she had this problem because I was like a punk goth kid. Love it. Right. And I I love, I love that aesthetic, by the way. Yeah. So that is like my vibe. That's how I grew up. I was like, I'm hot topic. Yes. Hot topic all (laughs) the way. Like I've got my docs still like, that is the aesthetic that I was always. And it kept me safe really, because I didn't have to wear red and I didn't have to wear blue. It Mm. was like neutral or black. Yeah. Yeah. It's like black and, you know, some plaid maybe some yeah. like punky colors, you know? Yeah. So that was the safe aesthetic. And so it was very eyeline, literally exactly how my makeup is now. I've not <laughs> changed anything. It's like the, the wing eyeliner, maybe a little bit of lipstick and do your brows, maybe a little bit of baby hair to bring that Latinness out. <laughs> and, and that's, it. <laughs> that's, that's it. But it's, very bizarre. So even back in 2007, I went I was in, I went to Tokyo with my partner and there was I don't even know how many it was like this whole section that was like I I would call it hood, you know, cuz it's like hood, like homeboys and homegirls yeah. like with the aesthetic of the chola eyebrows, Japanese boys with the Pendleton type of you know the yeah the plaid flannel with the plaid flannel, but, and the dickies everything the yeah and i'm just like what is this so wild right. it is wild how you know they use this as an aesthetic 
as far as where it came from, I, Brooke, I could not even tell you like how it even, like, how did it even begin? Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about your approach to beauty in high school and your look and kind of that East LA vibe. I, I do want to, before we wrap up, talk about this overeating issue because I feel like I've gotten so much better about it. I can even think to like the early days of the podcast where I would maybe talk more about like binge eating or my experiences with it. It's gotten a lot better, but it still happens sometimes. And for me, the way it manifests is this idea of like, I've already ruined it. So let's just go. I've already had two cookies. It's the day's already ruined. Just add on a slice of cake and then we'll try again the next day. Um, And usually the next day is restrictive, which is bad, right? So I'm like skipping breakfast and lunch and just having like coffee and some fruit because I was like, quote unquote, bad the night before. And then it gets to dinner time and you're starving and then you overeat again. So it becomes this very unhealthy, vicious cycle. Talk to me about your experience with overeating and how you're thinking about going into the you know biggest eating holiday of the year, Thanksgiving, how you're thinking about enjoying yourself, but also still practicing moderation. Yeah, God, it's such a great question. And I love that you sort of define this as good being being bad, right? Like yeah. this whole idea of being bad. So my history with food is a tenuous one because I did have a issue. I had an eating disorder. I was uh, bulimic for a couple of years. This was after being in high school. And yeah, after being in high school and being almost 200 pounds, like, because I was on the McDonald's diet, right? I ate McDonald's every day because (laughs) that's what you do when you're a teenager, you don't have any money. Like this is, you eat McDonald's because it's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So when I started to go through my journey with learning about yoga and learning about food. And it was almost like I went the opposite way. And I was working at, at this time, my early twenties, I was working at a hair salon in West Hollywood for a celebrity hairstylist. Ooh, can you say who? Yeah. Jonathan Anton. Okay. Who were some of sh- the celebs that he did? He, Oh God, he worked on everybody. I mean, like he did like Ricky Martin and uh, Ricky Martin seems and, like such a nice person. Oh just my God. Gonna the say nicest. that. <laughs> oh my, I have like, we can do a whole nother episode where I will spill the tea on all the people that came in there. Because... Oh my God. Wait, do you have a quick Madonna story just while we're on the topic? No, I, I was never there when she, when went, she was there. So I okay. Don't, I don't have a good okay. Madonna story, but one of my besties used to be her assistant. So oh, I'm sure, I'm sure that there's some tea there. And what I love about Madonna is just the continual dating of like young, young. very attractive hot boys with six packs. I'm like, all the men do it. Madonna, I love that you just date backup dancers. Yeah. I mean, we're we're getting sidetracked. (laughs) Totally. I'm like, yeah, no, he had some great people. I mean, it was a great experience for me during that time, but I'm surrounded by this toxic diet culture and and surrounded by this culture where I didn't grow up worrying about what I looked like. You know, Mm. I didn't grow up thinking this is important. You know, it was always like, I was more worried about like surviving, (laughs) like not, not dying. Right. So when this was going on, I learned quickly that overeating was not a good thing. Being overweight was not good. It's like, you have to be and look a certain way. So a good way of mitigating that is to binge and purge, which is not good. Right. So, and I did go to therapy and I did do a lot of work around 
this. And what I found worked best for me was understanding that food was nourishment and it was also something that I could enjoy. And it was also something that I didn't have to feel bad about eating because I would do that binge eating where I wouldn't eat. I would fast. Yeah. And then I'd eat as much as I could one meal a day, but it wasn't one meal a day. It was like I was making up for not eating (laughs) breakfast, lunch, and dinner in one meal. Yeah. And, you know, then you go and and purge it out, you know? And so obviously that became a problem for me because I realized that it was not a healthy way of living life, especially as I'm learning about meditation and I'm learning about yoga. I, I actually, one of the stories is about people started to notice that I was like looking healthy and I was looking good. And people while wanted you were to, bulimic, while I was bulimic, people wanted to know what I was doing. And I'm like, oh yeah. So I just started to eat better and I'm doing yoga and I throw up like, you know, like I couldn't just, I couldn't say that. Right. Yeah. I wasn't announcing it. And the fact that I wasn't announcing it made me feel disingenuous to how I was living my life because I'm like, oh, if I'm hiding this, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So I love what you're saying about like, being aware of what you do, right? And we all do this. It's like, oh, I'll start the diet on Monday or like, oh, I've been really good, air quotes, and I'm going to have a cheat day or I'm going to have a cheat meal. It's like, what are we cheating on? Like, (laughs) what what are we cheating on? And and what is this whole idea too? There's this thing, I used to have this anxiety around the holidays because of the, I didn't want to be tempted. I don't want to be tempted Mm. eating all the delicious food. And I'm only, I'm going to make, a separate dish for myself because I don't want to eat this stuff because I used a lot of butter here and I used a lot of like real sugar here. And then at the end of the night, I'm eating all the good stuff because it's the best tasting food. And like, what is that? Why? Why? Why is that like a punishment? You know, it's like we feel like, oh, I want to be good or I want to be bad or I want to have a cheat day or I'm going to make it up tomorrow. I'm going to run. 10 miles tomorrow morning. Right. So I'm Which not just like a punishment. It right it's like a, it's like, it, I mean, that this shows how much I hate running, <laughs> being like run, forcing yourself to run 10 miles is a punishment. But yeah, it's like you attach these like character values to certain foods. Yes. And it's like a pie isn't bad. But I think it's, you know, diet culture, even the way they talk about diet culture, they say like, oh, the devil on your shoulder wants you to, and it's like, it's it's raw with I I'm coming back to you saying you're like a recovered Catholic, but yeah, so much of the way we learn about food is like this is good, this is bad. My plan for Thanksgiving, I'll run it by you. You can tell me if you think this yeah. is this is a good plan, but my plan for Thanksgiving is I am going to do my proteins first. I'm gonna focus on getting full like I'm I'm gonna do a lot of turkey on the plate. I'm gonna do a lot of the the collard. That's what my family does. We do collard greens. greens. We also have, you know, candied yams and macaroni and cheese and all of that stuff. But I'm gonna make sure because the way it works in my family is the food is usually on the table. Like we don't do like dinner. I don't know how other people do it, but it's like we eat our Thanksgiving. Yeah, like we eat our we we well we we don't eat at like eight o'clock. Like we eat our Thanksgiving meal at like four o'clock, but it's the yeah, first the meal same. of the day. Like there's no we're not like eating breakfast and then like cut like so by the time we're sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner at four, everyone's hungry. So if you're really hungry and the first thing you're gonna go for is like the rolls or the macaroni and cheese, then that can be more difficult. So my plan is I'm gonna start with the proteins first and make sure that I'm 
satiated and then get into like the more indulgent side. So I'm not relying on, you know, stuffing to get me to fullness. Yeah, no, that's good. So part that's great. It's a great plan. I'm a big fan of the protein, having the protein first, because it is going to create the satiation. You're going to get satiated. I'm a big fan of... So I studied Ayurveda, which is the sister science of yoga. Yes. And yeah, part of the methodology behind Ayurveda is that we have this fire, this internal fire. It's like the, our digestive fire. Yeah. Vata, pizza. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we're only supposed to eat until we're about 60, no, I'm sorry, 70 to about 80% full. Yes. Because you're supposed to leave some space, right? For your digestive fire to, to do its thing. Yeah. I have tried before where I said, if I allow that, if I say get only 80% full and I'm going to try and eat throughout the day and I'm going to give myself permission to eat whatever I want as much as, well, not as much as I want, just enough to where I feel that 80% Mm. and see how that goes. And it really worked for me. Wow. Like it, it worked my, this might be TMI, but like, my digestion was on point. I was mm. able to, you know, eat and not feel like I needed to eat an entire pie. Like I could have like a piece of pie with a little bit of whipped cream or right. whatever. And I, and I've not because, oh, I want to limit myself, but it's, I'm just adhering to the biomechanics of my physical yes. body. Yeah. Because what, what happens when we in, overindulge, overindulge meaning means that I filled up my stomach. Right. It's stuffed. I, it's, it, it almost, I can think back to some Thanksgiving meals. It's almost like you're full up to here. And for people listening, I'm like pointing like past my neck. And you just feel like I can't breathe. I'm so full and I need to lie down. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. And that, that's where you, I'm going to do the quotes. You feel bad because you physically feel. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not, it's not a good feeling. Yeah. And so we, often give our power away when it comes to our choices because there's only one hand that's putting the food in your the hole in your mouth right or like your mouth right like yeah. you're the one that's in control so if you take the power back and you allow yourself to enjoy the holiday and have a great time and not worry i mean imagine just just play with me for one second imagine a day thanksgiving where you're not worried about how much you're going to eat or what you're going to eat. Have you ever had that experience? Well, yes, I had it when I was pregnant for the first time in my life. And it's probably why I gained 60 pounds while I was pregnant because I'm just, you know, not recommending that. I got gestational diabetes. I went way overboard. I went way overboard. But it was like in this whole, my whole lifetime since I've been conscious of, you know, I don't want to say I've been restricting what I've been eating my whole life, but I've, it was never getting the French toast with the side of bacon and the orange juice for, for brunch. That was just like, just over the top and too indulgent. And then I got pregnant and it was like, okay, I'm eating for two. And it was mayhem. It was mayhem. I, I, I need to reel it in. Should I find myself pregnant again? But yeah, I, I have had that experience and it's, it was very freeing and fun until, you know, until it, wasn't. it wasn't. Yeah. 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 No, but that's, but that's a great example. Like, if you were to run a day 
not run, not physical run. You said you don't like it, but go through a, a mental experience of what your ideal, that's the thing. We can go through an ideal situation where we're limiting ourselves. Even people listening to this, I know a lot of women that go through this. Oh, this is what I'm going to, even right now, you're like, I'm going to eat the proteins first. I'm going to do this, this, this. What if instead we went through the day as the most ideal version of what could happen? It's like, Mm. I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm not going to, I don't, I get to not worry about this today. Mm. I get to eat whatever I want, not to the point of being uncomfortable. But that 80%. Point, yeah, that 80%. And then after my first dinner, because I have multiple, I got I have like three like Thanksgiving dinners. Oh, right? Yeah, there's but the I, leftovers. It's a yeah, whole there's thing. The leftovers. Yeah. But I I get to the point where it's like the 80%, and then I go for a little walk around the block. And yeah. and typically Tori comes with me too. And we take the dog. It's like, oh, let's take the dogs for our little like walk to make more room, we say. It's like, let's try and make more space. Yeah. You go for a little walk. And then after you're walking, you're getting those endorphins. The feel-good endorphins is what keeps us eating, right? Because we're like, we want to feel good. Yeah. But if you're generating those feel-good hormones physically after you eat, you're gonna be less inclined to eat more food. You know, this thing yeah. happens where all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I feel good. I just walked that off, but I don't feel like I'm going to eat as much now. So maybe eat a little bit more. Maybe you're not even at 0% because you just are up at your 80%, but you've gone down to about 40%. So right. you just have a little bit more and you fill up to about 80% again, and then you do the process again. That That's my hack. That's what I do. And and it's and it works and i think that it also allows people there's no like restriction of what you can eat or how you should eat it it's like just give yourself permission to enjoy yourself to the point of not going 100% yes i love this advice rosie this is like i i like it better than my plan of just doing the proteins first <laughs> i am going to really and and i'll i'll report back to you i am Please really do, going to yes. try this 80% fullness thing. And and what I like about it is it forces you to slow down because it takes what, 20 minutes for your brain to register that your stomach is full. So when you're like shoveling food in, you like don't realize that you're full. So I love this. Thank you so much for all of the advice. I have to wrap by asking you a question. I ask every guest that's ever been on Naked Beauty, which is when do you feel most beautiful? I'm gonna get emotional, but I feel the most beautiful when... I'm helping somebody when I'm being of service to somebody else. That's yeah. when I feel the most beautiful. That's powerful. Well, you should be feeling very beautiful right now because I'm sure your story and all of your wisdom has helped so many of my listeners, um, myself definitely included in that. So I really thank you for your time and all of the intention you've put behind this conversation. And Rosie, where can people, you know, I mean, we have your podcast, you've got a book, you've got a lot if people want more Rosie in their life. Where can people find you? Oh, yes. Uh, Just go to radicallyloved.com. There's tons of info there. I'm doing a couple of retreats next year. I've got some some cool stuff that people have access to. Obviously, the podcast. There's If you go to my YouTube, there's tons of videos there. There's lots of just free content out in the world. So... Um, yes. And you can also reach reach out to me on Instagram at Rosie Acosta. I'm happy to answer any questions. People can email me if they want my personal email. I always give it out. I, I wow. love talking to people. So generous. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, you can email me at Rosie at radicallyloved.com if you have any questions. 
That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Rosie, for being on Naked Beauty. Thank you so much for having me. So that was the great Rosie Acosta. I thought she was so wonderful and I loved hearing all of her wisdom. And I love that we also got a chance to speak a little bit about uh, Chicano, Chicana culture, uh, this Chola beauty standard. Very fascinating, very different from some of the other conversations that I've had. So I love that with each guest, I get more and more diverse perspectives. And I just think one of the takeaways here is that you can always carve out time to care for yourself. You can always find new ways to practice self-care. And I love that she's also just getting into skincare in the past two years. Never too late to start your skincare routine. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 